0: and welcome to occupied my name's brock cook and this is your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy before we kick off just a quick note that if you are into this podcast and want to find other ot podcasts please do check out otpodcast.com for a whole range of different ot related podcasts for all different practice areas and all different topics This episode, I had an absolute blast sitting down with Dr. Rebecca Twinley as her work around the dark side of occupation has had a massive impact on my clinical practice and my understanding of occupation and occupational science. So I wanted to sit down with her and go through it, go into detail about its application so that I could share with you guys the dark side of occupation. So please enjoy and also share with a colleague.
1: So, I mean, that first 2012 article in the British Journal was really a a bit of a spill, let's say, of all my thoughts that I'd had to that point. And actually how that came about was um, I was uh, studying for my teaching certificate that we have to do um, postgraduate certificate and in that um, group I it's like peers so other academics basically doing their teaching certificate. Um, I met one guy who's a criminologist called Gareth who ended up co-writing that first paper with me and he, um, he was really interesting in terms of professional background. He'd done nursing before so he understood about occupation and occupational therapy. Um, and I, as soon as I knew he was a, in criminology, I said to him my thoughts around occupations that are, um, you know, not deemed, let's say, very pro social, and obviously occupations that are illegal. And that kind of, um, we were, you know, we were talking about occupations that, I guess, span that understanding of how you could take the perspective from me as an occupational therapist and scientist and him as a criminologist. And he was really interested in exploring occupations um, that are criminal in their nature, um, but from more of an occupational perspective, really. So it was really good. We kind of met together on that. And that article definitely has many flaws (laughs) in it. Um,
0: as most do, but,
1: yeah, and but I'm I'm not um, regretful of that because it was a way for me to start to articulate, I guess, my thoughts around this other side of occupation, and I don't really even know where the dark side of occupation, literally as a name, even came from. To me, it was just it it was very much like okay, so we. We obviously um, need to look at occupations that are healthy and health-promoting and um, positive, as positive as, pos- as they possibly can be in people's lives. We are healthcare professionals, and obviously we're hoping to promote health. Um, but uh, to me, this stems right back, and anyone's ever heard, anyone that's ever spoken to me or heard me talking about where this all came from, it was when I was a student myself um, training to be an occupational therapist. And um, I did that that route through a pre-reg master's course. And so before that I had done all sorts of stuff and my previous degree had been sociology. So it's fair enough to say I was a bit of a thinker (laughs) and I like to critically think and challenge things. And I I can pretty much remember being sat in um, class or whatever you want to say, and um, I used to smoke cigarettes at the time, and I wanted to go out for a cigarette, but we we're in the middle of some kind of lecture or workshop. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, and I just thought, well, why don't we look at occupations that aren't healthy and you know aren't that great in people's lives or maybe great in their lives but aren't actually good for their health or a kind of compromising their feeling of well-being for instance so that's where i think this the dark side in my head came from because it to me it felt very much like we're exploring all of this in terms of occupation but there's a whole other side that is literally in the dark and Yet to be explored, yet to be uncovered, yet to have light shed on it, you know, from our occupational perspective um and I think that's where part of um the need to clarify what the the how I've named or what I've named the concept is important as well, you know it's not I do whenever I talk about it i'm <clears throat> excuse me, I think my students know now you know I'd say. I I would never use the term dark occupation or dark occupations, because I think as soon as you call somebody else's occupation something like they're dark, you're you know you're putting your kind of sub- subjectivity and bias and your opinion um, on what it is that they're doing. Um, so it wasn't meant to be used in that in that way. For instance, so it's not just However, it's not a noun
0: essentially
1: exactly yeah. yeah however of course because of the very nature of all the occupations that we are yet to explore and are beginning to explore now they are the more risky the unhealthy you know some illegal criminal antisocial they are really that's that's the occupations that i'm talking about and and so by their nature then you know they they could be seen i i understand that as dark but i'm I've never intended for people to use the term dark occupation for, yeah. for somebody else's occupations.
0: And I think I, I'm, I can definitely put my head up and say that I was guilty, especially initially when I was first sort of getting my head around the concept. Um, I was most definitely using it probably incorrectly. I'll freely yeah, and admit, uh, freely admit and that.
1: Uh, <laughs> and, and maybe that's – um, well, probably that is my own – Fault. Let's say I think I perhaps needed to clarify this very early on, but um, I think in in my experience, in my own head, you know, trying to really, uh, like I say, articulate and de- and develop this co- as a concept is definitely a work in progress, you know. And and it, the more I think about it and ruminate on it and talk to others like yourself about it, it helps me too you know, it's helped me to rather get to a point now where hopefully I can articulate it a bit more um, <laughs> clearly and usefully. Um, but but then, you know, there is, I, I get lots of feedback from people who say that actually when they, if and when they talk about the dark, and they literally say the dark side of occupation in their practice, some some of their service users and the people they're working with they themselves have chosen to use the term dark occupations to refer to what it is they do and you know i've i've had feedback that that has been a useful kind of um way in to explore this side really of of people's occupational experience
0: yeah i could see how People being able, I think it is a good, would be a good way for some people who, like I know I've worked not necessarily with this particular concept, but I know I've worked with some people who very much look for a way to separate, say, the things that aren't so good in life that they want to work on from, you know, the everyday. And we as OTs and occupation, just the nature of it um, we, it all gets lumped together, whether it's health giving yeah. health, health, um, you know, not so healthy, it's all occupation to us. So I have worked with people who who do benefit from, you know, being able to separate that out. So I can definitely see how, how that would you know work for some people being able to say, well, they're my dark ones. These are my, yeah. my healthy occupations. I want to make, Less of them and more of these kind of thing, like being able to categorize yeah. it, I guess helps would help some people process it, maybe even.
1: Yeah, and and just be able to talk about it.
0: Yeah. So, did you when you sort of first started looking into it, was there much? Obviously, the the term itself may not have been been being used, but was there much sort of literature or anything around? Uh, I guess non health promoting occupations?
1: Yeah, I mean I think if you um step out of the occupational therapy and occupational science literature let's say, then you know you could go years and years back. And particularly if you think about behavioural psychology, you know, they've been talking and writing about and examining people's behaviour. Um and that's not just positive let's say behavior or healthy behaviour at all, is it? So you know, I think um, that's that's where for me as an occupational scientist, I really, really value that um, kind of more interdisciplinary um, perspective that you can draw upon and also apply to when we're understanding people as, you know, as occupational beings. Because, as I say, Disciplines, other disciplines like psychology, it can really feed into our understanding. And and yes, I mean you could go years back into literature and find literature that talks about the things that people do that are not necessarily healthy for sure. Um, in terms of within occupational therapy and occupational science, there's you know this isn't cer- certainly not the first time it's been mentioned, and I think I've referred to some key pieces in my, um, I think in the Australian 2013 article that I wrote. Um, so where people have kind of either hinted to, or have, have at the very least highlighted that there's a gap in certain occupations, our understanding of certain occupations. So Pierce definitely being one of the key authors who did that. Yep. Um, and yeah, so it's it's definitely been spoken about by other commentators. Um, and I guess it's just, for me, it was really uh, having that name and that for the concept was a way, again, it's really just to articulate it, understand it, and basically develop a a framework as a perspective to understand people's engagement in these occupations.
0: I think when I I would have come across it probably in like towards the start. So at at, like 2012 Um, and at that point in time in my career, I just moved back to Townsville. I was working in an acute unit, acute mental health unit. I was at a period in my career where I was really sort of searching for... uh, I'd felt that the occupation was kind of lost in what I was doing and I was searching for, you know, how can I make this more occupation based? So a lot of the reading I was doing was, well, if I'm going to try and do this, I need to have a better understanding of occupation and its uses and how we can use it and where we're supposed to use it and that kind of thing. And I think for me in, in doing that research and having your work sort of right there from the start, it kind of just, made sense i wasn't trying to reconceptualize something over the top of stuff that i already knew it just was like it be- just became part of how i understood occupation um yeah. and i i see it i don't know i guess for me i kind of struggled thinking like why hasn't this been looked at before like it just seems yeah. so logical yeah. that oh my, what, how how have we not considered that occupations can be, you know, you can be actively engaged. They can have purpose, meaning, all the usual things mm-hmm. and still have an effect on health. It's just not necessarily always a good one. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess that if being able to incorporate that into my clinical practice helped me because I was working in mental health, like I said. A lot of the people that I was working with, Uh, You know, had comorbid substance abuse issues and that kind of thing. And it it really helped me to get a completely different perspective on pretty much everything about them. You know, I, I can still remember very clearly like actually talking with people with this in mind. And then it was the first time I'd been able to look at a person's situation from occupation, from an occupation point of view, and go, "Well, yes, this person's using all kinds of different drugs, but they're using it to fill a social need. Yeah. Like it wasn't straight up. Like I was able to. I felt like it enabled me having the understanding of this. It, it enabled me to explore things in a lot more detail and get a better understanding of those so-called, you know, dark occupations." Um, yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: And I, I think in doing that, I, well, I felt like I was doing a better job, but I felt like I was able to get better, I guess, results and work better with people. Because once you, you know, if you take something like drug use and consider it as an occupation, once you go, well... This person's not trying to, you know, you can most people can brainstorm the typical things that they think people use drugs for, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. had a bad childhood or I'm trying to escape stuff or whatever else it is. Even talking with my students now, not many of them consider like this person's really lonely and the only social contact they contact they have is when they go to their friend's place and they're all highest kites. Yeah. So And be-
1: it's
0: a way
1: of having that social connection and interaction. exactly, exactly. And And
0: that's, you know, that's the reason that they they use whatever it is. Like being able to even view a situation like that changes everything on how you work with that person. Yeah. And from an occupational point of view, it changes the things that you would even consider doing with that person because now if you're trying to, I mean, I I assume (laughs) it's fairly well understood that when we're working with people as OTs that, you know, we can't just take away an occupation and not put anything in its place. We're looking to substitute it with something that's more health, health positive, yeah. p- tongue health positive. I like to yeah. refer to it as by understanding that. So understanding that this person may be using, you know, meth or whatever it is for a social reason, it changes yeah. the occupations that we're going to look at trying to fill that that with when we're trying to support them to you know maybe get off the drugs yeah we're not going to be like pushing volunteer work or pushing employment or you know pushing study or anything like that which is the typical thing with people or uh, in my experience that a lot of yeah. OTs were doing with people with substance use disorders like it's a social thing so yes that might have been the goal but there's so many more that we could get them to join a sports team like it, yeah. we could get them to just go and hang out in the in the shopping center and talk to people. Like there are so many more things that we can then look at because we know exactly what they uh, what need we're trying to I guess find an occupation to replace it with. And yeah. I think
1: yeah, what they're getting and what that occupation has in their lives and exactly. gives to them in their
0: lives exactly. And I've found from my clinical experience that. Even like I didn't – I don't think from memory I ever explained it to a, a client using the terminology of the dark side of occupation. Yeah. But I would explain it using like there's things that we do. Some of them are, you know, promote yeah. health. Some of them might promote ill health. And, you know, if we're going to take away one of those things that's not so good for you, we're going to try and replace it with something that is good for you. So it's definitely a concept that I've used a lot in my clinical practice since learning it for you know however long it was until I left and dove into the world of academia. <laughs> um,
1: the dark side itself. The dark
0: side <laughs> itself. That's right. I've I've switched. Um, but I, I guess I don't have you had feedback from people who have tried to i guess conceptualize it but they already have like a well established view on like occupational science beforehand is it is, is do people have trouble trying to i guess incorporate the the concept into their their schema
1: so do you mean pra- people in practice
0: yeah or or even academia yeah. just well, people who that. have because I guess what, like what I was saying, like I was kind of building that schema when it came along, so it just got built yeah. in along with everything else. So to me, yeah. it just seemed natural. But I can imagine yeah. there's a lot of people that already have this very, like, very fixed view of I've got a really good understanding of occupation and this is how it works, etc. And then yeah. this slight different thing comes along, and it's like, oh, I can either try and incorporate that, or I can just push it aside and stick to yeah. what I what I know. Have you had any sort yeah. of feedback around that?
1: I would say a little bit mixed. Um, I mean, going back to what you said, like to me, it, it yeah, it certainly felt a bit kind of obvious really. And I don't mean to be belittling or anything of anybody's thinking, but it to me it was like, why have we not thought about this? And that's, you know, when I say, when I go back to being a student myself, that is exactly how I felt. And kept feeling until I got to this point where I started, you know, putting my thoughts down, let's say on paper. Um, And also for me, it was, you know, we 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 talk about and read about occupational therapy practice as being holistic, in ideally, and having this authentic understanding of people as occupational beings. Now, for me an authentic understanding is really knowing a person in terms of the occupations that are important and are, you know, we, again, we talk about occupations and the role in the formation of people's identity, for instance. And um, for me, you know, working with somebody and only thinking or talking about the healthier occupations in their life, um, it, well, it just doesn't seem authentic and I'm not I'm really not belittling people's practice here at all, but I'm just saying, you know, surely authentic practice, true authentic practice is it, is at least being able to be open and open the doors as it were for that person you're working with to be able to talk about other aspects of occupation that perhaps they've not felt they would have been able to before. And so that's where yeah some practitioners have fed back to me that um, they've they have actually used that the um, the term the dark side of occupation and explained it to the people they work with and that has as I say opened the door to them being able to it's basically given them a language to discuss you know things such as self harming behavior for instance and the why these people are self-harming and what it helps and how it contributes to how they feel for instance um and I think there are you know I go and give talks to certain groups and everything and of practitioners and it's certainly always something that people say it would be it's really useful to think about but how can we incorporate this into our practice and that's where you know this is where I certainly cannot give a full answer to that at all. And I think that really depends on where you practice. Because the other thing with this is uh, a lot of people assume that my practice background is mental health, which it wasn't. Um, But I think also there's a bit of assumption that this is only relevant to people in and using and within mental health services, which again was completely not um, certainly my intention let's say you know i just really just think about people whoever we work with whatever we want to call them they're people and they and we you and i we all engage in and perform such a range of occupations and they are not all you know they wouldn't be perceived as healthy or or particularly great you know in every circumstance so there's Yeah, I think there's that work to be done in terms of how do we explore this and develop exploration of this in practice. And um, I mean, that's work that I'm starting to try to look at now, really. Um, but certainly in from my perspective in education and working with students, I think it's been probably I would say easier actually to bring this into the classroom and into discussions here, um, with students. And I know, well, feedback from yourself and feedback from, um, our lovely colleague, Amelia. Um, but, you know, she's, she, for instance, Amelia de Tomaso has really successfully, um, had a couple of cohorts, I think it is at least now, um, looking that I think this is in some kind of critical um, module thinking module she's going to have to correct me on this (laughs) somehow Um, but yeah she's uh, got her students to literally look at the dark side of occupation and then after really discuss that and and then think about how they think critically about people and their occupations and I know for ourselves where I work you know there's some kind of case scenarios that our students work with that are just so obviously you, you need to discuss this side, as it were, of occupation. So, for instance, we have um, Miranda Cunningham and Leonie Bolland, um, two of my colleagues here, and they've both been looking at working with homeless populations and um, the occupations of homeless people. Um, from and considering that from this perspective you know the dark side of occupation is just been so interesting we've been able to get our students to think about it in that way as well um so again that's about you know really thinking about okay there's, there's always that um a kind of assumption but it's certainly based very much on reality but the the amount of drug use amongst the homeless population but seeing that as, you know it's a problem that they need to be healed from as it were or they need to um
0: it's a very medical model view of it
1: absolutely yeah but being able to understand that um you know it's, it's i mean certainly not saying yep drug use is great because it's serving a purpose in their lives but just understanding it it is though it is at points serving a purpose in their lives and that purpose could be the need to sleep when it's really cold at night the need to cope with the situation that they're you know facing on a not just day to day but minute to minute basis um, you know there's all sorts of reasons and even sometimes the social contact because you know there's i think there's really interesting work about um, the experience of a homeless person and how you're not just homeless but you are identity less you are almost faceless you know people don't look at you and and if they look at you, they look at you as a homeless person, not the fact that you're lots of other things. You know, you could have been a father, or you could be a father, or you you know, an ex military serving person. Or so yeah, there's um there's definitely ways that in uh, in education, I think we there's loads of scope to develop this and to really get students now thinking about um, the role of. Occupation in people's lives, and not just occupation that um, is necessarily yeah linked I think, to health and well-being.
0: Yeah, I, I think from my perspective in using it as a teaching tool, it, it it almost made I I guess I I find it much easier to get my head around the concept of occupation using that as the you know one of the terms or one of the the concepts that is taught because yeah. I find a lot of that, especially like I'm teaching first years at the moment, they're really just sort of starting on this journey of uh, trying to understand what an OT is and what we do and how we do it. And leaving, yeah, they, they haven't sort of really got the critical thinking skills yet to really go into depth and analyse a lot of the occupations that people use or why they do it and that kind of thing. And I think even just from a very basic level into, if you only separate occupations into healthy ones and unhealthy ones, yeah. the the very basic, 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 basic concept of that yeah. will, has a lot of underpinnings. The underpinnings, the first underpinning that I like is that in doing that you've made it client centered because yeah. yeah, it's healthy or it's unhealthy, but yeah. that's got nothing to do with you to decide. Like you have to actually ask some questions to find out if something's healthy or unhealthy for someone.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Like, you know, you eating hamburgers every day for some people might <laughs> be very unhealthy, but you see a lot of like bodybuilders and that kind of stuff. I'm not saying bodybuilding is particularly healthy, but you know, there's a lot of people that fit the stereotypical healthy mold that will still. You know, eat junk food and that kind of stuff. Like, it's very context-dependent and it makes... Absolutely. I think a lot of the definitions that we already have of occupation are, are almost, for them, when they're just getting into it, are almost like uh, they're, they're very structured. Yeah. So, And they, they take it as very structured, especially people that have come from high school. They're used to just getting, here's the information here's the information, here's the information. And now we're t- taking them to the next stage where it's like, here's a concept. You have to learn to how to apply it as opposed to just regurgitate it. Um, mm. And I think even just initially, say, for that first semester, some of them struggle with that. But it's, it's important that we're able to get that concept of occupation at least majority down for most of them because otherwise they just start not you know start falling behind a bit through later years and I, i've just found that even for me trying to explain it and trying to teach it adding in the 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 concept of the dark side of occupation it, it makes a lot of sense and a lot of them are able to connect it and then the the concepts especially in occupational science that they've already know or they've already been taught make a lot more sense Because then we can start, like in the example before, we can start talking about why does someone do this? Like what is the meaning to them? And that is more than likely going to be a big part in determining whether, you know, this occupation fits on the dark side for this person or it's a health-promoting occupation. So you actually have to look at the meaning for that.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's – when I am thinking – my thoughts around the dark side of occupation – you know, I'm not thinking about all the those really extreme risky risk kind of taking occupations that people engage in. I actually had a conversation with somebody yesterday and that, um, <clears throat> this person was talking about their mother and how their mother um, hoovers her house and always has done since um, my friend was a child every day for probably two to three hours a day. And she was saying, you know, She sees that she views her mother's behavior, as it were, and performance of that occupation as, as really quite extreme. And, and, um, okay. Yeah. House is completely clean and probably extremely dust free, but she thinks it consumes too much of her mother's time. But, you know, we were saying for her mother, though, what is, what, what is her experience of that? You know, she's, there's, there's clearly a need that is, being met by doing that is it is it too extreme you know i think um or is it serving a purpose in her daily life Mm. that if she didn't do it what would what else might happen do you know and um i think that's something that's really interesting as well like so when occupations that we talk about as being very productive, let's say, can become actually quite unproductive in a person's life. And where where is that point? And surely for me, I think I very, very much believe a person's experience of occupation is entirely subjective and very, very contextually kind of driven and dependent and everything and influenced. So so I I think, you know, the experience of hoovering, let's say, is gonna be very different between different people and it is just that that where is the point where it becomes not very helpful let's say in a person's life or it starts to impact or impede other things in their lives well that's i guess
0: contextually you look at things that people say oh you can you do that in moderation kind of thing
1: yeah you know if you're
0: if you think of it like a medication, under this level you're fine and you go over that level yeah. you're in trouble. You can yeah. apply that to anything really. And I anything,
1: think, eating, exercise. Yeah.
0: I've, I've worked yeah. with people that, and it seems counterintuitive, but are exercising to the point of it being a health risk. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, working with, uh, I can remember one guy that I worked with years and years ago who had an eating disorder and would exercise, like, would wake up in the middle of the night and do exercise just to burn more calories. Yeah. Like, it it was very, actually, him at the time was very bad for his health. But, you know, most people wouldn't think, like, exercise, how could that possibly be bad for your health? Whereas Mm -hmm. I think this this concept allows you to think a lot more critically and, I guess, almost analyse it. On a, a deeper level, but it's a very easy concept, I, I feel, to get your head around.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's so many, um, well so many people that we c- could understand, as I was saying earlier, more authentically and just more fully, really, if we, I, th- I think, if we kind of apply this concept to our understanding. And there's so many areas as well that, you know, people that are involved in research there's so many areas that need to be explored that we so we can enhance that understanding and for me you know i'm very much i would want research that i do or i'm involved in to not just to um work to develop this concept but i really really want it to have that practical application Mm. and that use in practice yep so that in practice people are able to kind of understand things differently or maybe make a change to their practice and know how they're going to do that. Um, Cause that's at the end of the day for me as an occupational scientist, that I think is, is what we've got to be aiming for. You know, it's all well and good looking at developing understanding, but that understanding then has to be applied. Yeah. Doesn't it? And yeah, things yeah. have to change if we're to, yeah work differently with people and there's i mean for me as well i I think it's just um something that is not just in our professional lives but in our personal lives as well so you know i've i've um spoken to you about a very personal experience going on for me at the moment about a close friend um and basically you know the whole that whole um impact of a prognosis let's say on a person's life and then the things that they do and I think you know things like that kind of more those really significant life events and how that also impacts on the things that people do or or how people do things as well
0: but not not even so that's, not even the people directly like even indirectly like yourself who's yeah. not directly impacted by what we're talking about but you know yeah. the the impact I guess the the indirect impact that it has on the people around that person. You yeah. can also look at that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah very true. Um, I mean I, for myself, my um doctoral work was in the field of sexual assault between women. and so that led me to look at i want I wanted to look at the impact of being victimized in that way on people's subjective experience of occupation. So literally, how were their lives and the things they did in their lives after that experience? How did it affect that from their kind of perceptions? And that really, I uncovered so much about um, the kind of the coping mechanisms. And sometimes you can talk about that as maladaptive and adaptive kind of strategies, let's say. And the ways in which you know they would do things to be able to survive what had happened, and to cope with the traumatic effect of what had happened to them. Um, so for me, that's that's my own personal area of real interest is is the impact of trauma on people's occupations and basically daily occupational experience as well.
0: I actually downloaded your thesis today.
1: Goodness! You, I think you need a good, You need a little bit of time. It's is it like ninety thousand words or something?
0: Oh yeah, it was about four hundred and fifty pages or something. It was it was it was it's a lot, but you know,
1: it took a little, you know a couple of days to oh,
0: put sure it together. Whipped it up over the weekend. Yeah, you know, yeah,
1: you know, yeah. Like,
0: like all the assignments I ever wrote, it would have been done like the night before <laughs> or something. Yeah, no worries. Too easy. <laughs> I guess one of the other things I've used uh, or the the concept's kind of been integrated into something that I do is uh, self-awareness. Yeah. So I'm a big proponent of people knowing therapeutically what they're bringing to the table. And when I say that, I mean where you're at and being self-aware to know what's going on with you. Like if you're having a shit day, that's going to translate into that therapeutic relationship if you're having an amazing day again that's going to translate but Mm. i don't think therapists do enough work in actually exploring that or they're either either that or they're just not honest enough with themselves but what i have found is in doing that thinking about the dark side uh, of occupation for myself has really helped uh especially like we we're talking before about there's some things that you know in moderation won't have a, a negative impact but you go sort of yeah. over that threshold and it can and i think being able to think about that with regards to i'm going into this therapeutic uh you know session whatever it is where am i at at the moment well you know i've I'm feeling a bit sort of bit of tension. I'm feeling a bit of stress. What is it? What's causing that? And you know, stress. I think is a really good example in that you need a certain amount of stress to function. Like I just said before, like I used to write all my assignments the night before because I didn't feel like I could actually do anything without that certain level of pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully, I'd like to think that I'm a bit better than that now. That was 12 (laughs) years ago or something, but uh it's like we need a certain level i think there's a healthy level of stress for for people to function and do things but there's a there's a limit to that and a lot of people don't don't realize or don't understand for themselves where that limit is or where their behavior changes once they hit that limit and i i found personally that being able to conceptualize what i do using the dark side of occupation concept really really useful in I guess the self-reflection for that side of it. So being able to know that you know when I'm tired that doesn't that's not necessarily like a stress indicator for me. Like I haven't yes. hit that threshold yet. Cuz I mean it's hard to measure like stress yeah. stress stress thresholds. Um but I know when my dog's barking for some uh.
1: reason.
0: <laughs> assuming my wife is staring him up. <laughs> Um, but i know when my you know when i find myself at the computer and it's been 5 minutes and i don't remember what i've actually done i know i've hit that limit and i need to do something beforehand so if i've hit that limit and i can recognize that before i go into you know some sort of therapeutic process i can do something about it before i can you know do some mindfulness or i can listen to some music or i can do something to bring myself back under so that i'm better able to have a positive influence on that therapeutic relationship. And I found the dark side to be a really good tool for myself to be able to understand, well, yeah, okay, I do need some of this, but too much is bad, like where that, I guess, that change happens.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Has there been or do you know of anyone that's sort of using it, I guess, in those... I would call that a non-clinical way, like not necessarily, not directly with clients?
1: I mean, certainly I have lots of contact from, I actually get a lot of contact from students on other programs, literally just internationally, so across the world. And they um, reflect on having kind of read around the concept and then going on to their... Practice placements, um or their what do you call them? Fieldwork placements. Oh, we
0: call them placements. Yeah, placements.
1: Yeah, their they're whatever their practice experience as a student, um, and and going into settings already, and um, you know, knowing about that concept, and then normally the contact to me is I've just been on a placement, and I was able to talk to my supervisor or my educator in that setting about this, the concept, you know, about the dark side of occupation. And um, it's helped them to understand the people that they were working with in that setting. And, you know, and also, I mean, great for me, they've been able to actually discuss that with the practitioner they've been kind of on placement with as a supervisor. So certainly in that sense, I've had um, feedback that it's, uh, you know, that having the awareness of, of that concept and and some understanding of it and then going into a setting. And as I was saying earlier, this isn't just your kind of acute or forensic mental health settings. You know, this, these included general hospital settings, but working with people, you know, on a trauma and orthopedic ward or a in rheumatology it's um, and again, that, that comes down to, the individuals that people are working with as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, for but, sure. Um, yeah, I think the it's interesting though to what you're talking about in terms of self awareness, and I mean, listening to you saying how you need a certain level of stress in your life to to perform, really, I guess, or did in the past with assignments, for instance. And that's, um, I think, that's really interesting because it's, you know, that's. When we think about some of the – certainly those more risky occupations that people do, um, so for instance, you know, if you're a member of a gang and lots of the things you do are quite high risk and most of the time illegal things, you know, how how can anybody (laughs) – work with you as a as a gang member who has a very strong identity a very very strong um, sense of group membership and that affords you a certain social status certain rights to things it and but in particular thinking about what you were saying about stress you know that adrenaline inducing um, or potential that some things have you know like we have um, a rising problem, and I'm sure this is reflective of other parts of the world of knife crime um, and I recently had contact with a student from Brunel University and they're looking at a project of working with um, people in in London that are potentially in gangs and are therefore involved a lot in knife um, you know perpetrating knife crimes. And I just think that's so interesting. All of that to think about because how can we, uh, can we, can we replace what that gives to somebody? And maybe we can't, but at least we could really try to understand what exactly their experience is and why it's so hard to, to try to, um, you know, look at perhaps not engaging in any or all of the occupations associated to being, for instance, a gang member.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've seen some stuff like just like YouTube videos and stuff of um, There's one. I can't remember. I'll see if I can find the link and link it to the show notes. But I remember watching one video of this guy who himself as a kid had, or as a teen, in the early 20s, had got out of a gang but it sort of originally got in it just because that's what everyone in the neighbourhood did, and he didn't really know that there was any different. Like, that was just where life went. And he got out of the gang, and then his his mission now is he set up this this charity and does a lot of work um, supporting kids to get out of gangs. But his whole perspective, I remember it really resonated. It wasn't necessarily like, you're in a gang, you've got to get out of the gang. It was... Yeah. Why don't you just come and hang out with the group? And essentially he was like an OT without the title. He yeah. His whole thing was like, we'll show you different activities. And they did like a lot of group stuff and made a lot of friends and connections within this group. And then if the kid decided they wanted to leave the gang then, then that was fine. But like there was no... Mm-hmm that wasn 't the focus, the focus was giving them something else in life, and it was mm. giving them because obviously he had a very good understanding of what it was like to be in a gang and what it was like to leave a gang. Mm. He tailored it around that, and I guess that to me really resonated because i 'm like that if you were an o t and you're working with those people like that is exactly what you 'd have to do but generally, as an OT, the difference is that we're not coming with that background knowledge. So we need, I guess, this theoretical understanding or the conceptual understanding of occupation and what people can get out of it. And so that we can apply this concept to, you know, pretty much anything, whether it's being in a gang or, you know, I, I know a friend of mine who is in Canada I'm sure she's listening, and is now almost an addict of skydiving. Went once and now yeah. can't stop. And to me, yeah. I'm like, that's risky. I, yeah. I I would rather learn to fly the plane than jump out of it.
1: Yeah, but you can imagine. As soon as you've experienced that high, you want to keep experiencing that. And she she probably get, takes it higher and higher,
0: yeah, <laughs> literally. I, I, yeah, yeah, I but she you know did it once did the tandem went back kept going back she was on holiday she went back like 4 days in a row to get <laughs> like yeah and got whatever qualification it was to be able to like jump out without someone attached to you like to do it on your own yeah. and it has been doing it ever since i'm pretty sure she did it in australia she was on holiday in australia and just and has been doing it ever since and now like that's her addiction is skydiving i'm like one find a cheaper hobby but it was, to me, again, to me, that's mm. risky. And that's, I guess, the other thing on terms of self-reflection that I've used it is I am a rather large fan of Carl Jung and mm-hmm. one of his quotes, and I'm going to butcher it because I can never remember what it is word for word, <laughs> but one of his, the essence of one of his quotes is essential. I don't
1: think he's listening, by the way, so don't
0: worry. If you're listening, Carl, <laughs> From the from the nether, well, wherever people go after they pass. Um, but yeah, one of his, his things is that anything that annoys us about someone else is a reflection of ourselves, as opposed to you know a deficit or something being wrong with the other person. Projection. A projection, yeah where and obviously he's talking about one specific thing in annoyance but uh, for me it's the same for anything anything that I really like about someone else or that I find inspiring about someone else is a reflection of my own views my own values and that kind of thing and I think in that example like me finding skydiving risky and her it's it's got a completely different meaning for her and I can't understand that because it's it's so counterintuitive to my own beliefs and my own values. But having this understanding of the dark side of occupation, I can understand it from that point of view. Even yeah. though I know that I'll, I will never do it, I can guarantee no. you that.
1: But it's not your wish or your desire.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I can understand. And for me, I'm like, if I didn't have that understanding and I was still like, that's really dangerous, that's risky, I'd be like, there's something wrong with you. The mm. fact that you've done, like, <laughs> 17 jumps in six months or something, I don't know, that's that's completely made up. It might even be more, who knows, but I'm like, you're insane. There's something wrong. But being able to have this understanding and be able to go, well, actually, it does have a very... Which I, I may get partially with just a knowledge of occupational science, mm. but I think... <laughs> The dark side allows almost like another layer of understanding. In that, you know, it, this is why people do things that aren't necessarily health yeah. giving or risky, or you know, against social norms or yeah. whatever else it I might that's, be.
1: That's a that's a really really I I think important um, thing to talk about as well is in in terms of self awareness and self reflection um is where we as the occupational therapist um where we are at in terms of our own belief system and our own opinions. So basically I'm talking about our moral hmm. um ideas and uh, or our moral um yeah set of principles. And I, um our lovely colleague Craig Greber, Yep his uh, he wrote a letter in response to the 2013 article
0: i have it right and
1: here. i i love that letter and i'm so glad he wrote it not only because of the content but it's opened up um <clears throat> a connection between him and i around um yeah i think talking about occupation and um he's going to as you know contribute to the book that i'll be editing Um, so I'm looking forward to reading what he's going to write for that. But in terms of this letter, he brought up about, um, he mentioned something about we should not act as a moral filter. And I absolutely love those two words (laughs) now. And it's just, I read it and I was like, thank you, because it's, it's absolutely true. Like, okay, we're, you know, I'm talking about the dark side of occupation, but, and clearly, clearly there are occupations that across societies are really not that great. They are damaging. They are very disruptive or depraved kind of occupations. But, you know, there are, there are lots of areas and lots of um, occupations in people's lives that, you know, to each of us subjectively and based upon our own kind of belief system and values and morals um, we, I, we might view them very differently between us as occupational therapists. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. for instance, you might view the skydiving very differently to how I would view the skydiving. Um, and I just think we, in terms of self-awareness, we need to think about our own morals and how we do we, or how do we let that influence or does does it influence our thinking and therefore our practice with people? I think that's something to be aware of as you're talking mm-hmm. about and um, I mean a question that always comes up and is again I don't have the answer to this but is something that I hope to work toward um, exploring more is you know thinking about the dark side of occupation what is the kind of ethical dilemma of this? in terms of particularly in practice when actually working with people. So when we are working with people that find meaning in something that is really harmful or is really damaging either to themselves or to others, or even wider than that, their community or something, where do we stand, Mm. you know, in working with a person and, and, Then we all obviously work to our our code of ethics and they're all pretty much very similar, aren't they? And that is, um, I mean, there's obviously a difference between ethics and morals, aren't there? You know, ethics, our code of ethics tells us what is allowed in terms of our action and professional behaviour. Our morals, again, like I say, that's far more subjective based on our own experience, opinion, ideas, um, of what is right and what is wrong. And um, so I think I think that's all something to, at the very least, be aware of, definitely.
0: Um, S- someone explained it to me really badly, like the best way I've ever heard it explained, like two days ago, and I can't even remember who it was, so I can't even give them credit. <laughs> the idea wasn't mine. I'll say that first. Um, but essentially, like if you're trying to get to somewhere and you're trying to get someone else to meet you there, You need to know where you are first. Like you can't get directions to another spot unless you know where you are. Like I can say I want to get to, you know, Las Vegas. If I don't know where I am, there's no way I'll ever find my way there. Mm -hmm. But if I'm trying to get to this spot and you're trying to get to that spot and we need directions, one, I need to know where I am and I need to know where you are it's the same thing with that building that therapeutic relationship on terms of, yeah. you know, the the biases and the, yeah. you know, ideas and the, you know, if there's going to be any values, conflicts between us, we I need to know, like, give in this assumption, assuming, like, I'm the therapist and I'm working with you, I need to know, one, where I am, two, where mm-hmm. you are, and then I can sort of do the work to work out where we can both meet at the same point, which is that, hopefully, that positive therapeutic relationship. And yeah. I, I wish I could remember who said it because they're going to kill me when I remember. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, to me that was just the best way I've ever heard it described was yeah, it just seemed, again, so simple. It just makes sense when it's said like that. So, yeah, yeah. and, yeah, like I said, I, I found the dark side very valuable in terms of me being able to work out, well, where am I?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, you know, that's something, again, that I often say if I talk about this is think about your own engagement in the dark side of occupation. You know, just. Um, and I, I'm not talking about, again, the absolute extremes, but there are things that I think a lot of people, I would probably say most, if not all people, we, there's there are things that we do that aren't necessarily, you know, always. Um, whatever we, words we want to use, positive yeah. or um, bene- particularly beneficial or anything in the person's life. Um, yeah. So, and that, as I say, that could go from what I spoke about earlier in terms of, you know, cleaning a bit too much or going to, you know, using illegal substances in order to get through the day and cope or what have you. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, that's, that's my hope is that at the very least, people can understand this as a concept and as some way to perhaps think differently about the people that they work with, but also to think differently about themselves as an occupational therapist and, you know, the role of occupation and all the occupations they are involved in and engage in and perform in their lives, how that you know, contributes to who they are and how they feel about themselves and others and what, how they feel about what they do um, before even thinking about the people they work with as well.
0: Could not agree more. Could not <laughs> agree more. And, and like, so you obviously you mentioned it before there's a, a book in the works for the future, like a textbook, I'd love to see, I don't know of any, you might know of any, like any sort of even incorporation into tools or tools themselves that utilize the concept. I think there's a there's a massive potential there for it to be incorporated, especially into like some sort of reflective tool, even for that. Like we've talked about that a fair bit today. Yeah. Um but I think it makes sense if, if people are teaching, you know, occupational science or, or or occupational like intro to occupation type stuff. It makes sense to include it, and it's it's not a hard concept for students. They get their I can attest they get their head around it really quickly, and yeah. it, it supports the build. I, I think in a way it almost fills in some of the gaps that they struggle to get their head around. In trying to learn and understand how OTs use occupation in the first place, so yeah. it, it's it's not like a, a an extra thing people have to learn. It, it kind of supports yeah. that that development of understanding of occupation that we're trying to get across to students anyway. So
1: well, and I think that's because it it is about truly reflecting human life and human experience and human occupation and and humans as occupational beings that's why it's um you know it's it's opening up yeah being able to think of people and all of the things that people do yeah not just the things that we certainly would be really interested in either improving or increasing in a person's life because it is you know far better for their experience of well-being or far better for them and their social connections or their relationships or whatever it is we're working with a person. So, yeah, I think that's, um, hopefully that's, that's the experience of, of, um, other students and things.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
1: You said about the book. Yes. Um, as you know, you are a contributor.
0: I'm, I have time blocked out tomorrow even to (laughs) get stuck into that. That's why I've downloaded all these articles. That's why every article you've mentioned, I'm like, oh, I've got that right here. I'm pretty much going to read everything you've ever written.
1: (laughs) Can I remind you, the deadline is June the 3rd, I think it was. So I take it you're going to be writing it on June the first and second.
0: That's right. Yep. So I'm just—I've <laughs> yeah. got on okay. my pre-reading, and it'll sit there until probably yeah. like you know May thirtieth, and then I'll read yeah. that, and then I'll write it a couple of days before. Okay. It should be just sweet. Just let
1: that stress kick in.
0: It should be sweet. It'll be fine. I'm yeah. already stressed, so I could probably go now.
1: <laughs> but um, but yeah, the uh, you were talking about tools and things. So I, as you know, I've um gratefully been given a contract with Taylor and Francis or Routledge to edit the book about a monograph about the dark side of occupation. So this is for obviously very exciting for me, but um, I'm really pleased that uh, the, the sections of the book are set out. So it's going to start more with, the, I guess, the theoretical underpinnings and history, let's say, of um, where this has been spoken about but not in you know necessarily in terms of the dark side of occupation but where it first was
0: as a concept
1: yeah exactly yeah yeah, and where it was first kind of highlighted or um, identified and then um, I have somebody that will be writing about specifically about um, models of practice and a bit about assessment tools and Can they, do they allow for this consideration within those um, that already exist? Um, There's the section that's going to be related to research. So people that have undertaken research that have findings that relate, you know, and can be understood from this conceptual perspective. Then there's the area related to practice. um, And within that, I know I've got one contributor who's um, writing about how they've developed an assessment tool with a specific population um, that in consideration of the dark side of occupation that has really helped them to work with this, you know, this population. So, um, yeah, I'm really hoping this book is going to be a useful resource Mm. for everyone basically involved in occupational practice, whatever that role is. I'm already and excited capacity.
0: and I've only seen the contents, the contents <laughs> page, and I'm like, this is going to be amazing.
1: It should be. I really hope so. So, um, yeah, so keep your eyes and ears out, everyone, for whenever this book gets published. Guarantee I will, I
0: will let everyone know when it comes yeah. out. <laughs>
1: But, yeah, more than anything, I just I really want it to be a useful resource and something that, as I say, no matter what stage you're at, you can pick it up. And at least, you know, the majority of it relates to you or to your practice, wherever that is, whatever you are um, in some way.
0: That's awesome. And I have no doubt that that's exactly what it'll do.
1: Let's hope, hey. Eh? <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. It's uh. Always a pleasure to catch up and uh, we shall talk very soon.
1: Yeah, lovely. Yeah, have a nice weekend.
0: I will, you too.
1: Bye. So it's Friday night for you. Have you not got a beer?
0: I was about to say, like, I'm about to go and indulge in a few dark occupations myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.